All right. Good morning, Awaken Church. Uh, my name is Richard Dubay. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, and so we are doing something a little bit different today. You are, if you're new here, first time here, you're joining us in the middle of a seven-week series. So we are uh, going over our core values. We're calling it the core. And so today, as Frank mentioned last week, how can we cover eight core values in seven weeks? Well, we're we're going to double up. And it took four, four pastors to be able to accomplish that. So um, what we're doing this week is we're actually going to do a panel. So uh, church leadership, obviously, uh, you know, the pastors leading is something we're going to be talking about. And then uh, we believe at our church, uh, love and unity is, is one of the core values, and it you know, integrated into our leadership. So we thought, what better way than to have all of us up here? So we're going to do a kind of a panel style. So we'll go over some questions, and you'll get to hear from all of us. So hope you guys will enjoy that. I want to start off and just have you guys uh, introduce, your, say your names, and then uh, we'll, we'll kick it off. Some questions. All right, I'm, I'm uh, Vashi Nimichek. I'm Frank. I'm Andrew, and I cannot bear to put myself in pajamas today. <laughs> no, that, that's what he literally wears to sleep. He's just always on point. He just <laughs> and, and you guys don't want to see what I sleep in. So just... <laughs> TMI. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I have to go there. so it's going to be a little bit more informal. It fits pajama day. So, uh, so we're going to start off. So you'll see the questions up there. There's some notes if you guys will follow along. Um, but yeah, we hope that it will be... Uh, it's a little unscripted, but we trust that God will use it. So first question is, um, what qualifies someone to be a pastor at Awakened Church? You know, that's a question everyone's wondering. Yeah, Andrew. no, that's a, that's a great question, Richard. And, and thankfully, it's not whether you wear pajamas or not. Um, <laughs> so it is a great question. I think for us, we look to Scripture. What qualifies someone to be uh, a pastor in Scripture? And uh, the first thing uh, in Scripture is you have to witness and be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, as one of the first things the disciples did after Judas hanged himself, before even the Holy Spirit set on them and anointed them for, for ministry, they elected one of them that had been a witness and accompanied Jesus Christ and had seen his death, burial, and resurrection. And so for us, it's, you've got to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and what's crazy is, sadly, there's a lot of churches um, that that's not a qualification kind of like, oh, well, you believe what you want about Jesus. But for us, um, we've got to be a believer and a witness in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, the second thing is, is just character over credentials. And that's something that's kind of different than kind of what our cultural Christianity is all about. Cultural Christianity is a lot about your credentials over your character. And so there's some great passages in that, and I'll just go ahead and read those for you guys. Um, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, talks about the kind of character um, that is required and expected of a pastor. And uh, it says this, this saying is trustworthy. Again, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will they care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so they may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. 
It's just a rich text on the character, and even the character that the entire community is meant to see from a pastor. And not only is this once in Scripture, but Paul, who wrote to Timothy, also writes to Titus and doubles down on this fact that character is probably the most important thing when we look at shepherds and pastors. And so he writes to Titus in Titus 1, 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to teach and give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So those are just rich passages on, on the character um, of, of an elder. And so I think that's really great. The last thing to be a pastor in Awakened Church is there's this desire is that we raise up pastors from within our community. We don't put a job posting on ZipRecruiter. You know, we don't, we don't put uh, an ad out for the, the latest best pastor, but it's someone that has been around and in the community. And even in my life, that's what it was like. I've had so many of you guys pour into my life, even sharpen me, rebuke me before I became a pastor. I think that's really important because in America and in our models of church so often, we have it backwards. We value the aspiration of the pastor, the degree of the pastor and the calling, but we don't look at his community. We don't look at his character. We don't look at his faithfulness. We've adopted the CEO model of pastoring without ever questioning if that model is really biblical. And then last, I think what should inform being a pastor in any church community, what informs our community and how we raise up pastors is that scripture, character, and the community itself qualifies the pastor, not seminary, charisma, or vision. And that's just kind of our model. So great question, Richard. Thanks. Either you guys want to do any more? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, in my mind, I, I always keep it really simple, right? That we look and examine three areas, doctrine, character, and ministry skills. And the doctrine has to do with are you able to communicate the truth of God in a way that's, uh, that our people can understand and embrace? Are you able to defend the truths of the scriptures? And as, and as Andrew shared, character, right? Are you someone worth imitating, worth following? And the scriptures care enough that it says, well, this is what that looks like. And the ministry skills, are you willing to bear the responsibility? Is what you're doing something that uh, involves oversight? And the is, it, is it something that would require that of you, is to, to bear the responsibility of, of overseeing the church, taking responsibility, and shepherding the saints? And so, um, yeah, I thought that was really, really good. Cool. All right, well, so next question is, um, why four pastors? And how different are we all from each other? <laughs> So I'll start this one. So uh, there's nothing magical about four. Before we were four, we were three. Before we were three, we were two. And then there was none. So that was kind of how we all flowed out. So uh, Vashi and I were ordained in 2000 uh, after we launched the campus church in 1997 at UNF. And then uh, I think it was 2011 that you were ordained. Is that right? 2012. Got you that Andrew was ordained. Then 2016. Richard was. And so, and basically, I mean, we, we increased because the church grew larger. I think the being able to share the load and we were raising up leaders that were demonstrating not only the qualities 
of a pastor, but also there being a need. And I think that's where that intersection happens is, is just at that opportunity of need and qualification. Um, the ways, it's funny when we talk about the ways that we're, we're all different. I mean, we could tell story after story on this one. My wife and I actually this past Monday, before we even knew this was going to be one of the questions that we were going to address, we had this conversation about um, the differences between us as pastors. And she brought up this interesting observation. So if it doesn't work or it seems like it's a funny fit, blame my wife because she was <laughs> the one who came up with it. But she's like, you know, it's really neat because in, in Mark chapter 12, it talks about how you love the Lord with all your heart, love the Lord you got with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And she's like, it's weird because it seems like our pastoral team each reflects one of these. And, and in that sense, Richard is very much the heart, right? And love the Lord your God with all your Heart, the heart is, is kind of like the seat of our emotions. It's, it's where we experience not only, you know, burdens, but joy and, and uh, compassion and care. And Richard is definitely the most compassionate, the most gentle of this group of pastors. And, but you notice it's not what he's all about. He also expresses joy and excitement so readily as well. And it's been so cool because as Richard has been a part of our pastoral team, it's been neat to see as he's been open with his emotions, he really brings that out in us as well. So that's been a really neat way to see it. So Richard definitely embodies the loving God with all your heart aspect. Um, I wouldn't say, my wife said that, so the soul would be me. Um, and if you think about the soul in the sense of this is where our, uh, our imagination happens, our ability to dream, our values, um, these are the types of things, our, our DNA type stuff, right? This is where that aspect comes into play. And, and uh, I think when you think about what our soul wants, our soul wants peace, our soul wants adventure, our soul wants, you know, to be joy-filled. And it's all of these, these intangibles that kind of are brought together in that space. And I know that for me, that's something I'm very burdened by, not only what practically and visibly our church is involved in doing, but also the invisible DNA stuff that is our church in a place where we're able to dream, to envision what God has for us in the future, and, and to be able to balance the tension of wanting peace and rest and also being adventurous and daring, and that all these things, exercising faith, these things need to come together. Uh, mind, I mean, probably no surprise, right? Andrew definitely embodies that. But you understand our mind is not just our intellect, right? Uh, it's, it's our beliefs. It's the things that we are convicted by. And I think one of the things I love seeing Andrew bring out in our church is this understanding, this realization that our ability, our capacity and ability to reason, to, to think through the scriptures and understand God, that this is an essential part of our faith. It's a necessary part of our faith. It allows us to have that firm foundation from which we can move forward and not only to be able to define what we believe for ourselves, but even for others to be able to understand what they're getting into when they get into this relationship with God, right? So love the Lord you got with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think in many ways, Vashi embodies that, right? When you think about the idea of strength, strength really is our physical strength, the way we apply our physical efforts and abilities to the things that God has set for us to do. And I love where, where Vash sits on that because oftentimes we, can, we have to be careful not to allow our faith to become theoretical. There is a practice, there's an aspect of our faith that needs to be put into place and exercised and uh, where we need to be able to sacrifice. We need to be able to put ourselves in a position where we're physically, actively serving not only the body of believers, but those outside the church as well. And I think Vashi really embodies that spirit. So anyway, that's just one way of conceptualizing it, but I thought it was a neat way of being able to imagine and think through how we might all be be different and yet still 
coming together makes the church stronger as well as the team. So, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or... Well, I, I'd just say, why are there kind of four dudes on a stage, as the question goes? I think it, it's just, it's really lonely and hard to do something by yourself. And that's not how God wired it in Scripture. And it, being in seminary is really cool because I'm around a lot of guys that their church model is like they're the pastor or they're going to be the one pastor. And like I, I have like a great amount of compassion and, and maybe even pity for them because like, like I get to lead alongside three other brothers who love Jesus Christ, love their families, who are sharpening me, keeping me humble, and it's, it's just really great, so. Yeah, and I, I would add, too, like, you know, the way we, we look at this is that God is the, the great over, you know, shepherd, and so, you know, he's put us as a physical representation in a way, uh, you know, to be the, the under-shepherds, and so um, it's not just one guy being the head, but all four of us are kind of sharing the load, and so it helps to keep a, each other uh, humble and, and then everything else, too, so, yeah, I like that analogy, so. Um, so I don't, you, you might have answered the next question. The next one was, uh, would we ever consider more than four pastors? Well, there's no, we've already got the, all four, heart, mind, soul, so. <laughs> lock, <laughs> game's locked. We can't, no, uh, <laughs> um, no, the real, I'll take that. So the real answer is yes. So I'm the most recent, um, uh, the most recent to joining. I was all, is heart also like funny? Cause I'm like, yeah, I think I'm the sure. funniest. It's like a funny bone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the funny but we could, yeah, you laugh at me. <laughs> nice. No, um, so I'm the, new, I'm the newest pastor on the block, and uh, so they had three. We had that for, since 2011, so five years, um, over half the life of the church. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely, uh, just to answer quickly, yes, um, definitely adding more pastors is something that we look for. Um, uh, as we kind of answered in the first cup, you know, couple questions, you know, looking for character and, and all of that is, is kind of paramount first to like having a spot. It's not like we're going to be like, okay, we have a certain, you know, pastor position to fill, so we're going to put out a posting or anything like that. So, um, and you guys can speak to how you decided to raise up me, but from my point of view, you know, I was serving faithfully in the church uh, since the beginning. Uh, I was part of LDP, which is a leadership development uh, program. I just want to give it a different, yeah, program, um, which is a two-year program that we run through that goes through, uh, you know, just basic Christian beliefs and, and then a little bit more um, doctrinal, those type of things that, um, of what our church believes and the church movement and what, you know, Christianity believes um, and, and leadership and, you know, learning how to be a leader. So I got involved. I, I did happen to be a deacon before I became a pastor, but that's not uh, like a prerequisite or anything like that. Um, and it, you know, more comes down to calling, you know, something that, uh, you know, many years ago, I, you know, felt like maybe being a pastor was something that I wanted to be and, you know, pursued. I went to seminary and different, different roads and God took me lots of different turns, um, to have me end up here. But, you know, that's one thing we look at. Is that something that, you know, the, the man aspires to, uh, which the Bible talks about? And then also, um, you know, do we see that in their character? Do we see them serving first? So in a lot of ways, when, when they did raise me up, I'm like, okay, so now I'm a pastor. What do I do now? And they're like, well, you're already doing it. Like, you're, you're already, you know, and, that, and that's what we're looking for is we're not looking for someone who's sitting on the sidelines and then we're going to tap you. We want someone who's already in the game. And um, we're just changing your position. And, you know, and that's, that's what, as I was thinking about this, that's, you know, pastor is not any greater or anything like that than any other role. You know, the, 
we believe in every member a minister. And um, so whatever your role is that you're having serving in the church or that God's got you serving overall, um, it's no greater than the other one. We just happen to be one that's a little bit more visible some Sundays than other Sundays. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my answer to, yes, we would definitely raise it more. And I would say too, you know, as we're looking at uh, raising uh, or as we're looking at church planning in the next couple of years, then yeah, we're, we're going to uh, have more of a load to lift. So we'll see what God does down the road too. Amen. Anyone else want to jump in on that? All right. All right. So what are a few times unity was tested as pastors? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I get to go first. Good job. You guys, have, you guys responded appropriately. <laughs> Not because I cause all the problems, but <laughs> I have a lot of examples. Yeah, um, yeah we, uh, so I'll share one, one example that's not too far off. Um, you know, I, if you guys uh, thought about our family, we, we had uh, uh, Rachel's father passed away earlier this spring, and, I, and as a dad, as a husband, as kind of, a, you know, a, a somewhat of a patriarch, you know, or a leader in the family, I, I was having a really difficult time. Uh, Really difficult time, just knowing how to care for my wife, how to how to deal with the grieving process. Uh, a lot of things I'd never experienced before, and and uh, I just, I mean, I had literally times where I was just bawling before these guys, just say, God, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with this situation. And there's also some challenges of parenting uh, kids. I was having some really difficult times at work. I was traveling to Tampa two and three days a week, and it was just a lot of stresses going on, and and. Um, you know, my brothers, uh, they sat me down and, and had, a, had a very, just very blunt conversation. Hey, Vashi, we, we think you've got to really change some things that are going on in your life. Uh, there's some big problems. And I, I looked at it as, oh, you know, these are, I've had lots of trials, uh, you know, I've gone, uh, gone through. And, and they're like, no, this is, this is something we want you to take really seriously. In fact, we want you to take it so seriously that we want you to step back with some ministries you're doing. We'd like for you to consider changing your job. We'd like for you to really just look at, hey, we think you need kind of an overhaul. Uh, they didn't use that word, but kind of, you know, that's what it came across as. And, and I was very resistant. The guys, I've gone through all kinds of stuff. This is, uh, you know, get through it. I appreciate your support. We'll figure out something. Like, no, we really want you to, to, uh, to, to walk through this with me. So they went through a time just kind of laying out, here's the, here's the struggles, here's the things they're seeing, here's the concerns they've got. And um, it was a, it was really difficult. Uh, that it was a, we were at a, at a, we just had this meeting at, a, at our clubhouse, and and I, I will never forget just sitting there, just like God, I don't know what to do. I don't want to do this. This is not something that, that I desire to do. And um, walking out of there and knowing, you know what, I, I need to to listen to my brothers. I need to listen. I know, I know these guys love me. I know that they want. Um, they want not just what's best for me, but that God's using them to care for me. And even if it's a decision I don't want to do, I need to, I need to really walk this route. So I literally went through a scenario. I've, I stepped back. I'm still in the middle of the process of it. I've, I stepped back from a lot of ministry things I was doing. I, I, uh, I left a job that I'd spent over 20 years building, uh, a career scenario that I, I was better. I could not have written a script that I would say was any better. I worked with my, my buddies, uh, great friends here in the church. I, I spent tons of my time ministering to people. Uh, I, had, I was, had the ability to basically run the whole state for a giant corporation, tons of money, opportunities, things like this, and um, 
yeah, I just, I, I stepped back and walked away from all of that just because I know my brothers and the word, the word that they spoke to me, the, what they were saying is, hey, you need to kind of do a bit of a reboot. And um, I tell you, I don't know the exact outcome, but I do know that God used them and is using them. And from a unity's perspective, I don't know if there's any story that I, would, I could think of that has been more powerful for me. Um, so there's a, Acts 20.28 says that you should shepherd, you guard yourselves as well as the flock. And it's, he's speaking to pastors, and that's what happens with four four brothers. Uh, there is a there's a guarding, there's a shepherding, there's a caring that goes on that you don't see in other places. If I was a priest up here in a robe and by myself, I don't know how I'd, I I couldn't do what I'm I couldn't put I wouldn't want myself in that situation. Sitting up here with guys in pajamas is a little weird, uh, you know. But <clears throat> it's a bit different paradigm. But it's the paradigm is. I'm in a scenario where I recognize the work of God through them, the unity that we bring. We, 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 we hope to be not just an example individually. We hope to be an example as a community. This is a microcosm of what the church should look like is from a shepherding perspective, from a caring perspective. Um, anyway, I could go on and on, but I'll, I'll stop with that. So, <laughs> I was just going to say, we were talking about this on Thursday morning early. Um, that's when we meet, but we were talking about how kind of love and unity, like we feel kind of like this like married couple where we don't really remember like the fights or the arguments or some of the little things that we disagreed about or we were angry and we're mad and we don't like, it's like, yeah, I don't remember. Like, I know we had a big fight like five or six years ago about this, but I'm like, I don't even really remember the details, but I'm committed to you guys. And I feel like that's a really cool example of love and unity that, you know, most of you who are married might very readily relate to. You can't remember the fight you had three or four years ago, but you remember you had a fight, and you're. But then you're like, I don't remember the details, but I'm so glad that we're, you know, committed to one another. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at. It's like some of these things I don't even remember, and I wouldn't want to. First Corinthians says, "Love keeps no record of wrongs," and so we don't keep a record of wrongs. And I think that's really beautiful as well. Yeah, and I know for me, I, I like calm and and unity and everything. So it's been fun for me to come in here and. Um, I mean, we definitely have different opinions, you know, we'll, we'll throw out one scenario and then all three of us will jump in and be like, oh, we're completely seeing it from a different point of view. And, um, you know, that might mean times that we say, okay, well, let's think, think and pray about this some more and come back and readdress it in a week or two. And so sometimes it takes a little bit more time to make a decision. Um, and then other times we say, well, hey, you know, Andrew, you're taking lead on that. So we, we're going to um, submit to your your um, leadership on that, and, you know, we're, we're fully behind you. And, and when we say that, we are. Like, that's one thing I've really been impressed upon is that, hey, that means we're going to be the, the three guys that are helping him the most or whatever, even if we didn't uh, agree with them at the time. So it's been really neat to see unity work out. Um, so number five, how, decision, uh, how did decisions get made with four pastors? So, and I kind of talked about that a little bit, but <laughs> um, <laughs> what other thoughts you got yeah, I'll start off with that one. Uh, you know, it's a little different we, when we were, when it was historically, for over 10 years, Frank and I shepherded together. And uh, there was some, there were some scenarios that were, I feel like were, it was, it was a lot more division, or a lot more uh, where we came on opposite sides. Some of it was just because we were younger. You know, I was only 25 years old and, you know, we were just not, not as wise, didn't really know what we were doing as well. Um, part of it, too, is just the church was smaller. So, there's a lot of more individual idea, you know, individual responsibility versus now 
you know, we kind of have routines and things like that. But, um, but I'd say, you know, now with four pastors, we, we actually operate, I think, very uh, much more in unity with, with less conflicts than, than we used to. Um, and some of it is I, I think we know each other also. There's, there's a, you know, an understanding um, that, you know, we, we, know which, uh, we know each other's strengths and gifts, and hopefully we're making decisions accordingly. You know, we recognize each of us are different, and we, we know it more than anybody else, that we're different. We hopefully complement one another. We also have roles and responsibilities. You know, so, you know, so I, I, you know, I have tons of opinions about college ministry. I have a lot of experience with college ministry, but I don't go and usurp Andrew's responsibility and authority with college ministry because he's doing that job. And even though my idea may be better, it doesn't, it's not, <laughs> it could be. I, I'll always defer to Frank, I mean, to Andrew in, uh, in this scenario because, he, you know, that's his responsibility. Um, but if you were to ask, what's, what's the process for making a decision with Forrest, Forrest? I think the first one is we, you know, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he is one. And the intent is that we are unanimous, that we are 100% behind everyone's every decision that we're making. That's our hope. That's our goal. We know it's possible because that's what, the, that's what you know, Jesus is set as that example and that standard. Um, we also recognize Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the one who's ultimately shepherding you guys in ways we can never do. We were, only, we're, we're delegated some, uh, some responsibility for the flock, but it's, it's only what we can do, in the, and it's the Holy Spirit and God working in and through you guys. We recognize that as well. Um, so the, the scenario, if, if there's not a role that's there, there's not a clear, this is someone's really their talent or their gift. Well, what, you know, what do you do? How do you operate? Uh, how do we make a decision? Um, you know, we could go with who's the oldest, Frank, <laughs> just say, I, I was going to say oldest and wisest. I cut uh, that out right yeah. at the end. Well, he said, we'll just do what the oldest guy says. Or, or you know, Andrew's the tallest and the strongest. We'll pick him, you know, he'll make a decision. Or Richard's the nicest, the kindest. We'll just do what he says. And I wish I wish it was that way. I don't have a a, a scenario where it's easy to to, to get my way. But um, anyway, uh, but you know, I I think uh, you know, for us, if we truly get down to something, we wait patiently on God. We're we are not about the the situ a scenario where we've got. There's a lot of times we walk out of a meeting, we want to make a decision, we want to make a decision, and we'll just say we're going to wait. We're going to wait for that, that unity. There's also the, the mindset of us being humble, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That we want, if there's an opportunity in that decision where I can humble myself, or it's clear that, hey, if I would just have a humble heart, this decision would be so much easier to make. I'm gonna always, I want to choose that. Each of us with that mindset that we can humble ourselves. I also look at, is there a way that we can give God glory, that he can be lifted up, that in this decision, it won't look like any man, it was his idea, or his, it was his, you know, his thing, but I can say, you know what, God is the one, ultimately, he's going to be the one who's going to get the praise and the worship, I want to go that round. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's not a formula, it's just a process that we go through, and I would tell you guys, there, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of decisions that are made, lots of them by the pastors, I mean, I, us building this, this church build out, I mean, there's so many, 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 many decisions were made. I don't look back on them and go, man, I wish I would have got my way more. I wish I would have just done this, this, and that. 
I look at it, I'm like, you know what, God, there's so much you taught us when we went through the, that process of working together as a team. And I, I feel so, so blessed that some of the decisions that I wanted to make never got, they, they didn't go my way because I'm like, you know what, God, you were right in the end. And, and I was, I needed that. I needed to be reminded. I still remind myself that, you know, Lord, this is the way you want us to operate in unity in, you know, where we're completely on the same page. And uh, so anyway. Um, lastly, we, we wanted love and unity obviously applies not just to uh, leaders, but to everyone. And so we wanted to look at what does it pra practically look like to pursue love and unity um, as leaders or as the church? Yes, this is a, a great, again, practical, pragmatic question. for How do you pursue love and unity um, at school, in your marriage, at your job? And uh, so I think a lot of it has to do, you know, we could give tips or a bunch of other little things. And I think maybe coming back to Scripture and, and coming back to what Peter shared um, to, you know, elders and pastors in, in, in his letter in 1 Peter 5. Um, so it's 1 Peter 5, uh, 1 through 4, and he says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain or greed, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. So I think that's really beautiful for a couple of reasons. It just reminds us that, you know, our identity is in Christ. And so when we talk about love and unity, it's really this attitude that we adopt first. I know even in, in our relationship, if, if I haven't adopted an attitude of love and unity towards these guys at 6 a.m. when we meet for our elder times, we're going to get in disagreements and fights. You know, I've had, if I haven't eaten a granola bar or an apple, I'm going to be hangry. And so I think some of it is just, hey, what is the attitude? And Peter gives us that attitude. He gives us the attitude that you need to have in your marriage, at your job, as you parenting your children. And that's an attitude of not doing things out of compulsion. In compulsion, you're either threatened to do something, like I know I should do this, so I should do it, or you're persuaded to do something. Almost as like, if I do this, if I scratch Frank's back, he may or may not scratch my back, but I'm going to scratch his back because that's what I'm hoping to get out of it, like this persuasion thing. But that's not really love and unity, that you're expecting something in return. That's the next point that Peter makes. That's actually greedy. You're doing something for gain. You're doing something so you get something in return. He says, be committed to love and unity. And then the last thing is, serve others. Serve that person next to you. Serve that classmate who's struggling in your study groups and who might be a little lazy. Serve them. Serve your spouse over and over and over and again. Those were your vows on your wedding day. Serve your coworkers. Make the team great. Have an attitude that says, I'm going to love and be united with this team, even if you're frustrated, even if you're upset, even if something's not going your way. You make a commitment to love and unity. You can only control yourself. You can only adopt that attitude for yourself. So I encourage you guys, take on that attitude of love and unity. I think what we would want to pass on to you uh, in this time, even why we chose to do this core value this way, 
is uh, just an understanding that love and unity, these are things that require work. Yeah. It doesn't come naturally, it doesn't come easily, but oftentimes we think it's supposed to. And so when it doesn't, we get disappointed or we think it's not real, and it really is, but there's a commitment that's required. There's a digging in, a sacrifice, a laying down of our lives in order to see that, to see someone else you know, blessed by our lives. And, uh, we wanted to be able to show, like, we don't get it perfectly. I mean, we mess up all the time. We throw pens. We yell at each other. We, you know, say things that we shouldn't say to one another. I mean, this is, this is something that uh, in setting an example for the church is not the example that, oh, these guys have got it all together and they figured it out. But I want you to see that we're committed to this, right? We're devoted to one another, and we want to see that value embodied in our church as well, and hopefully that's something that you're able to see as a part of, of how we want to live this out and, and for you to be able to say, yeah, you know what, I'm excited about that and I want to live that way too. And I love my brothers and sisters and, and the church family enough to commit myself to that, so. I think just a love and unity and that commitment and attitude has the capacity to heal broken relationships and fractured relationships. Yeah. And I think that's just what, when, when Jesus met Peter, Peter needed healing after his broken and fractured relationship where, where Peter broke unity, where Peter didn't love Jesus. Jesus came in and brought love and unity. And Jesus Christ has came and brought the same to us. And he also desires for us to bring the same in our relationships as well. Thank you, guys. Well, that's our time. Um, thank you, guys, to the pastors. And um, thank you, guys, for listening. Uh, definitely, if there's other questions that you have, we're, we're open books. We're always happy to talk, and, you know, whether it's about, you know, the church structure or love and uni or just each other, um, you know, we always want to talk, and, uh, yeah, so we'd love to talk with you. Let me close this in prayer. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for um, the example that you set, Lord. Um, just as, as Andrew mentioned, Lord, you, you came to restore relationships, Lord, that you, <laughs> the ultimate restoration project, obviously, Lord, was... Um, dying on the cross so that we may be restored um, to you, God. And so we thank you that um, that example is set, and um, we can never do better than that, Lord, but we can strive to live up to it, Lord. And so um, we thank you that um, your, your scripture is filled with examples and ways for us to strive to do that and to implement um, in our own lives, Lord, restoring relationships um, with you and with others around us, Lord. And, and so pray, pray, Lord, today that you would show us what we need to do, um, whether it's a conversation we need to have with someone or, or just um, forgiving them in our hearts, Lord. Would you allow us to strive after love and unity, Lord? And uh, Lord, I also just pray for, for this church, Lord, for the leadership, Lord, that you would, um, you would bless it, that we would strive to follow you closely, Lord, every, every day, Lord, so that we can um, lead your people, Lord, so that we can... Um, see your kingdom come, Lord, and that, that's what we want. At Awaken Church, we obviously, we want to be here to do your will, Lord, and so um, to love you and to love people, and we pray that would happen in Jesus' name. Amen.